How'd you like to hang your stocking on a great big coconut tree? We're talking Christmas Island. Hit it. It was 1988. A Fish Called Wanda was number one at the box office. The U.S. stealth bomber was unveiled. Guns and Roses needed a little patience, and Leon Redbone sent us on a tropical Christmas vacation. I'm your host, Jerry D., with another episode of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, we got it covered. Now, joining me is a very special guest. You'll know him as the host of the Holly Jolly Ex Masu podcast, Scott Leopold. Scott, how's it going? Hey, Jerry. Not too bad. <laughs> right on. So I, I heard you just came from bingo. Was that pretty fun or how did that go? It, it, it's not bad. It's uh, fundraising for my daughter's high school. And um, if my voice is a little hoarse, I, I do the calling. So the, the games ran a bit long tonight, so I had to talk a little bit more than I normally do. I gotcha. Yep. <laughs> I, I completely understand. I've been there with, uh, with some of my gigs before, uh, cause I'm also a musician. And so, uh, uh-huh. whenever our church is doing fundraisers, I usually end up having to, uh, you know, to, to kind of stretch it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have like a set that, uh, some, some of the other choir directors and things and I normally, we form a little band and, uh, and I have a set that we normally do, but sometimes, yeah, we're asked to just kind of make it go a little bit longer. And so we just kind of end up talking and making jokes and whatever. And by the end of it, yeah, our voices are pretty dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, first of all, thanks for coming on the show. But, yeah, uh, th- thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, when I asked you, I, you gave me a couple of suggestions, but one of the ones that you really wanted to do, and, and I've heard you mention this actually in your podcast, is, uh, you know, Christmas Island by Leon Redbone. So what's uh, what's your general like history and experience with it? I remember seeing him on TV when I was when I was a kid. I, I, mm-hmm. I believe it was Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, but I'm sure it wasn't the first time he was on because I was you know three at the time. Right. But as the eighties started, you know, I had an awareness of him. I knew his name. I, you know, I could, uh, pick out his face and whatnot. Um, and he's just someone who, you know, he'd pop up on TV from time to time, but at the start of the eighties, you started getting, you know, the, the Budweiser commercials, uh, (laughs) theme song to Mr. Belvedere. Yes. Um, so he, he was a lot more, uh, prevalent than he had been. And, um, I had to have been what 16, 17 at the time. And my mom, she always, uh, she played Christmas music year round when we were growing nice. up. And the thing by the eighties though, it was the same three albums each year. It was John Denver and the Muppets. And then a couple of albums my dad had picked up at Firestone. Yeah. So we were in a little bit of a rut and, uh, one night I, I rented the paint store with them and, you know, I had my first job. I had a little pocket money 
and the paint store had this rotating uh, thing of cassettes. And um, one of the ones on there was Leon Redbone, which I saw that and all I could think was, you know, I know that guy. I like how he sounds. And that's something my mom would never buy. So I went ahead. I picked that up. I picked up Bing Crosby's tape. And we get in the car. My dad let me put it in. And it just blew me away. I mean, it you know, some of the songs are songs that I've heard before. Mm-hmm. But he had just such a distinct voice and such a distinct style. Um, it, it just... It was so cool having something that was different than what we'd been listening to for years. And it was kind of like, you know, it was like my music. It was the Christmas music I could listen to that, you know, maybe mom didn't want to hear all the time. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, <clears throat> that kind of got me started on buying my own Christmas music and collecting. And that led to decades of, uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of songs at this point. <laughs> Which is awesome. I mean, I, I you know, I, I anyone that can do that, they can just collect and collect. And and I have a small collection, but uh, you know, it's nothing. I'm sure it's nothing compared to yours. Because uh, and while yours is is at least as far as your podcast goes, I know your collection is very niche. Um, mine is is also, but in a different way. You know, uh, I'm into the '80s, and so anything having to do with '80s. So I like the Care Bears and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pac-Man Christmas album and, uh, you know, all, all those weird ones that are out there, you know, Pound Puppies and Rainbow Bright. And if they had a Christmas album, I tried to get it. But uh, <laughs> so I know what you're what you're talking about there. <laughs> well, and see, and one, one of the good things about the 80s is that by, by the 70s, uh, Christmas music in America, it, it was the whole market had gotten kind of stale. You didn't have a lot of artists putting out, uh, putting out too many big albums. And then... Mm-hmm what was it? The, uh, uh, very special Christmas came along yeah. and that just, you know, suddenly made Christmas music cool again. And so, yeah, a lot, a lot of really good stuff came out of the eighties as far as Christmas music. Yeah. And you're right. And ever since then, it seems like everyone that's, that's popular tries to come up with a Christmas album, you know, at least once in their career, uh, sometimes even, you know, two or three times. And so it really did. You're right. It, it really did revitalize the whole industry. Um, Leon Redbone, you're, you mentioned he was on Saturday Night Live, and he was. He was on twice in that first season uh, alone, which is kind of mm-hmm. neat. Um, and I vaguely remember that first season. It was, you know, uh, same thing. It's, it was just, I don't really re- recall it too much, but I do recall him seeing him on, uh, what is it, with the Johnny Carson show? Yeah, I, I, I read something. I guess he was one of the... Uh, he he was on there quite a bit. I, I forget how many times, but John, Johnny had him back quite a few times. Yeah. And, and I think you're, you know, you hit the nail on the head. His voice is just, it's so unique. You know, like there's, there's those artists where you hear them and like right away, you know who it is. I think Ozzy Osbourne is one. And, and, you know, whether you like him or not, I mean, you can always tell it's Ozzy Osbourne, you know, mm-hmm. uh, same thing with, with Leon Redbone. He's just one of those guys that, uh, not only his style, but his voice in particular, the timbre of his voice, you know, the, the overtones that um, he gets when he sings, just everything about it is, is just, it's so him so much so that, uh, you know, Bob Dylan had said that if he had had his own label, if he had ever started a label, he would have signed Leon, you know, right away, which I think is really cool. You know, when Bob Dylan actually likes you enough to, <laughs> to plug you before you're even famous. I mean, that's saying something. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, not only his voice, but his style. So he really kind of stuck with that Tin Pan Alley, um, you know, that, that era, the vaudeville kind of act. And, and it shows in everything that he does, but especially on this Christmas Island album, I noticed there's a lot of like Dobro, um, there's clarinets, there's even a bass saxophone, which is really typical of that earlier style. And even the chord progressions, there's a lot of, you know, secondary dominance, like, you know, five of five of five things, you know, B7 to E7 to A7 before you finally resolve it to the one, you know, which is D and just all these different chords uh, and, and instrumentations and everything at play that really makes his style what it is. And of course you add the guitar and the banjo and, and it's, it's hard to classify, <laughs> which uh, I think for me, I, I would just call it eclectic, I guess. Yeah, well, and then, you know, you get Dr. John coming in on Frosty the Snowman and that just, you know, that, 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 that really turned it into a classic album. Um, I, the first time I saw the video on MTV, it just blew me away. Not only that, hey, you know, that's my tape. They're playing one of my, one of the songs I own on there, um, which, you know, MTV didn't play a ton of Christmas music at the time, but they, they did, uh, they did air him and Dr. John quite a few times. So that, 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 I got a big kick out of that at the time. See, and I missed that. I would have loved to have seen that because I mean, again, Dr. John also has a very distinct voice, you know, it's real gravelly. And I mean, he's just, he's got that growl. that's you know, it's, it's just, it's great, especially mm-hmm. for the type of music that he does. But when you pair them together, um, they, they blend so well, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're so different but it just, it works somehow, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those where, where you don't really expect it to. And then it just, it does. And it's, it really is magical. It's kind of neat. I, I really dig it. But yeah, so Leon Redbone was um, of Armenian descent. He was actually born a uh, Dikran Govelian. Um, his parents were from Jerusalem and they immigrated to Cyprus. And in the sixties, he came over to Canada where he pretty much started gigging around and, and just playing his guitar. And, and that's kind of how he, he developed his persona somehow. And no one really knows how, uh, <laughs> which is kind of adds to the mystery and mystique. And I really like it, but he changed his name to Leon Redbone and no one knows why, but he kind of developed this persona. You know, he always wore the sunglasses. He had that mustache with the, uh, you know, sometimes he had the little soul patch going on and, uh, he always had the, the, the black tie and uh, what's it called? Not a fedora, the um, uh, Panama hat. Panama hat. That's what it is. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he just, he kind of, he always wore that. And and you can see it even on YouTube. You can find some of his performances where it's just him and his guitar. And he's singing these, you know, Tin Pan Alley style songs. It's really neat because not only does he play the chords, but of course he'll, he'll throw in some walking lines here and there, just a little riff. Uh, just to kind of fill out some of the silence. And it, uh, I mean, it really works. You, you have to love the commitment he had to the Leon Redbone character. I mean, so much <laughs> so that when he died, they, they really didn't even know how old he was. I mean, he, he had stuck with it so well and for so long that he, the real, the the real person was still pretty much a mystery when he, uh, when he passed away. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think even in his obituary, it said that he was 127 years old. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I hope, I hope in my obituary, my family does something funny like that, but I don't think they will. <laughs> You're right. He, he had such dedication to it. And I love that even in elf, 
you know, he played uh, Leon, the, the snowman. And he even the snowman had the glasses and, and the hat and everything. And I just, I thought that was a really cool bit. Well, and I, I love the fact that, you know, as much as I liked him growing up, mm-hmm. him being an elf, that's something that, you know, my kids know. It's something their kids are going to know. So it's just another way that he's going to be, he'll carry on a lot, a lot longer than he would have otherwise. Yeah, you're right. I mean, because I've only had, you know, some vague memories about him um, until then. And then all of a sudden, you know, I remember hearing him singing with Zoe Deschanel and I thought, this is really familiar. And so then I had to go back and look him up. And sure enough, it was that guy that I, that I remembered seeing with his guitar on stage, you know, all by himself. You know, it's such a classic that now they're going to show it. I mean, they do show it every single year, multiple times a year um, during the Christmas season. And so um, you're right. He is going to live on at least an elf. And uh, same thing. My kids, my kids love the movie. So they, they know Leon, even though they actually don't know the Leon Redbone character. Mm-hmm. But I think it's kind of neat because not only would he sing, I mean, he was super heavily inspired by that, by vaudeville. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Tin Pan Alley before, and, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But, um, you know, that whole vaudevillian style of, you know, yeah, you sing some songs, then you do some comedy bits. And so he would throw in uh, some of those comedy bits and impromptu things, um, you know, even claiming to have written certain songs or, uh, you know, that <laughs> that were written way before he was born. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a great bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, he, he's one of those people that... You know, if I had a chance to go back and do it all over again, that's one of those people I'd want to see in concert. Yeah. I, I've heard his, his shows were, were, were something else. Yeah, I can imagine, honestly. I, I, You know, it's more like an experience rather than just listening to someone get up on stage and play. Uh-huh. You, you go to a lot of um, some of those rock bands, especially like in the 90s and stuff with the, you know, with, with grunge and things like that. And it was mostly just them on stage playing and, uh, and I kind of get it. They were trying to pare down after all the, the mega glam arena rock stuff, but uh, you know, it, it, it kind of held over in a lot of rock in, in a lot of ways. And so I would have liked to have just gone to see a whole show and, and, and experience, you know, uh, the performer. And, yeah, we saw uh, uh, Roger Daltrey a couple summers ago. He did ooh, the, nice. uh, the Tommy tour ooh, and, ooh. As great as it was seeing Tommy on mm-hmm. stage, uh, when he came out for his, um, for for just his uh, solo routine afterwards, it, it was just fantastic because he really interacted with the crowd. You know, he was a lot more personable. He was talking to people directly. Um, so we we'd seen the Who before, but mm-hmm. that experience that 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 was a little more special just because it, it was there's a little more of the one-on-one there. Right. Right. So it's more personal. And Uh I like when artists do that. Um, My, (laughs) my father-in-law, he always tells about, um, they went to see, you know, he and my mother-in-law went to see Kenny Rogers and he had a whole production and it was big and grand. And uh, then like a couple of weeks later, they went to see John Denver and it was literally just him on stage with his guitar. And they said it was like the best concert they'd ever seen that it, you know, blew Kenny Rogers, you know, rest in peace. Uh, just, it blew him away. And uh, to this day, you know, they, they still talk about that one time they saw John Denver and it was just him and his guitar. 
And and I know I, I get it. There's something about that one on one that makes it, you know, it just it it hits you more because it's almost as if you're you're there by yourself, just talking to the guy, and then just kind of having fun and playing. So, uh, I mean, I get it. You know, it's 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 a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Leon Redbone, like you mentioned, he you know because his past was still kind of shrouded in mystery. There was several suggestions that he was Andy Kaufman. Or that uh, he was also Frank Zappa, <laughs> which, as great as those suggestions are, uh, I'm glad that he wasn't. <laughs> you know, I, lo- I love those guys, uh, and Frank Zappa's out there. Some of his music is just amazing, even though it's like crazy uh, experimental and stuff. But, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I-, I like that he's his own thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Although to be honest, if he would have turned out to have been Andy Kaufman, I'd have been pretty excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, and you know, I probably wouldn't have been surprised either. But, <laughs> um, but let's talk the album in general, Christmas Island. There's a lot of standards on there, which I think were really cool. But then there's some unexpected ones, and instrumentation. As I mentioned before, we have all sorts of things. So you have strings clarinets the dobro played by nancy cash dollar which i mean that's that's a great name there uh cash dollar but you know it's it's all these instruments that you weren't really hearing at the time you know this was a time dominated by like synths you know and and when you don't get the synth something was different so i can see how you definitely would have you know been perked up to to hear something like that well and it wasn't you know that polished uh you know the uh i guess the overworked studio feel that you got from a lot of stuff back then right the overproduced yeah you know. yeah and and like you said he he picked some songs that at least at the time you you didn't really get a heck of a lot of on it, if not on christmas albums you just didn't hear them i mean uh toyland that old christmas moon mm-hmm. uh christmas ball blues um it, they were they were songs i had heard before not not a lot but hearing it from Leon Redbone, it, it, they they just took on a whole new life for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and even the songs that he does, the the standards, you know, White Christmas and and Frosty, um, they all have intros that are relatively short, you know, comparatively speaking. So you know, you hear White Christmas and and you're used to that big, you know, big production, and then you hear Bing Crosby get into it, but. It's literally in this version, it's just a couple of seconds and then bam, you, you get into the vocals. And so I remember the first time I heard it, it was, it was very jarring actually, because I was so used to the Bing Crosby version that, you know, something, I mean, something didn't seem right. And, and I kind of like that because, um, I, again, and I, I'm very eclectic in my tastes. I love jazz. Classic rock is also my favorite and, and film scores. Those are probably like my top three um, <laughs> types of my, my top three favorite genres. But when I, when I heard this, I mean, it, it was almost like I had something I'd never really heard before because, you know, I was used to listening to Metallica a lot at the time and they have those like minute, minute and a half long intros. So to get an intro that's only a couple of seconds long, you know, it definitely, it definitely makes you go, hmm, something about it is just, it's very unique. Yeah, well, and, and for me, I, I'd say this more than any album really set me off on trying to find more, I guess, unique sounding Christmas music. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you know, Andy Williams is great. Bing Crosby's great. 
But hearing someone like Leon Redbone singing the same songs, it, it, you know, it hit that sweet spot for me. It really appealed to kind of like what you said, my more eclectic tastes, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in Christmas music. And, um, you know, years later, that's when I I went through a, uh, a period where I was trying to find albums played on like really bizarre albums or bizarre instruments. So I've got, you know, whole albums on the, uh, on the theremin, uh, glass oh, nice. harmonica, just all, all sorts of strange things. So <laughs> that's awesome. I love the theremin. I mean, it's just you, one of those, you know, you immediately think of uh, pet sounds and, and sci- 50s sci fi B movies, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's great. Yeah. Whenever you can get an album with a theremin on it, go for it. <laughs> But, you know, he's got some like really great performers on here. I mean, they're all like very famous session players, like studio musicians. I mean, he's got uh, John Eric Kelso on trumpet, Terry Waldo on piano. Uh, let's see, Bobby Gordon, uh, Dan Levinson on clarinet. Dan Levinson was, you know, just I, I mean, he's phenomenal on clarinet. Uh, Frank Vignola on guitar. I mean, he, you literally got... I mean, you just, you have a ton of people, the Cindy Cash Dollar, like I said, on Dobro. Uh, and then you had like John Gill, who played banjo and orchestrated all the strings. And so, I mean, when you get all these great session players, you know, you're going to come up with some great sounding instruments. But something tells me that, uh, because he produced it, something tells me that that same kind of raw, and I don't know if raw is the right word, but just the, like you mentioned, the very unpolished that energetic kind of vibe uh, he probably went for. And so I doubt they actually did many takes, but I mean, that's just speculation. Uh So, I mean, I can't say, but I know they, they started recording tracks on December 8th, 1987 at the uh, Manhattan recording company. And as a, I'm pretty sure, and I can't find where I read it now, but I read that uh, it didn't take very long to get it all done. So, I mean, I think it's I think it's really neat to to be able to just get the cream of the crop, basically, and and lay down some tracks and come up with something kind of special and that's different, you know. Yeah, well, and when when you look back on it, it it really does hold up now. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, some stuff you listen to, and you you know, the, the, there's plenty of albums out there that are product of their time, and it's not something you want to listen to every year. But, um, or, or at all after the first couple of times, right? But with Leon Redbone, I mean, that, that's this is one of those albums that you know, it, it it's one of the first albums I listened to. Well, <laughs> I can't say as I get into the uh, Christmas music season, season this year because I've I haven't stopped, but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but most years, you know, around October or so, this is one of the first albums I, I, I normally reach for. Nice. Uh, so the title track, actually, uh, Christmas Island, and I, I want to say, I think this might be my favorite song on the album. Um, I love the, the Frosty with, you know, with Dr. John, but I think this might be my favorite, you know, my favorite tune there. And it's, uh, you know, Christmas Island. It was actually written in 1946 by Lyle Moraine, who was a, a struggling Hollywood actor. And since he wasn't really getting any parts, he decided, since he also played piano, to um, get into music. And so he wrote this song, and he kind of went back to his youth in the uh, in the twenties and and wrote that 
you know, vaudeville style Hawaiian song, because back in the twenties, you know, it was very popular to, to write songs in the style of uh, Hawaii and, or Hawaii inspired songs. So he kind of went to his youth and pulled it. And I mean, you got some lines like, you know, how do you like to spend Christmas on Christmas Island? You know, how do you like to spend the holiday way across the sea? And, and you can hear that kind of influence in even in some Bugs Bunny cartoons. I mean, that's how popular that, that thing was, you know, uh-huh. uh, uh, like when, when Bugs Bunny stranded on that desert island with, the, <laughs> with those other two uh, those sailors and they're all stuck there and they're trying <laughs> to eat him. You know, it's, you get that, that same kind of vibe. And uh, I mean, it's really neat. It's, it's one of those songs that for, it's different. It's like when you hear Melakalikimaka, you know, it's, it's not your typical Christmas song. And anytime there's not a typical Christmas song, uh, my ears perk up because I love, like you mentioned, I love all the standards. And to me, it's not Christmas if I don't hear the standards. But at the same time, you know, I, I like to hear some of the the different things as well. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, well, yeah. and I, I, I know I've got plenty of other versions of Christmas Island, but I, I think Leon Redbones is the one that I first listen to you know on a regular basis so uh that that that's definitely my favorite version of the song yeah uh, yeah well, well i know the andrews sisters recorded it mm-hmm. uh, i think w- um oh, what's his name guy uh guy lombardo i think he's the one that actually uh uh was their backing orchestra there and um so the, yeah you're right there's a few other versions but um Anyway, Lyle Moraine passed away in 1988, so he probably didn't even get to hear Leon's version, which is a shame because I think he would have appreciated it. Yeah, that, definitely. And <laughs> well, and one of the things, you know, when, when I was listening to this again mm-hmm. over the last few days, uh, for me, trying to pick out a favorite is it, it's kind of difficult. Right, right. I mean, it, um, Frosty the Snowman, Christmas Island. Uh, uh, no place like home for the holidays. Or I'd say probably my top three, and then it, on, on the original release, everything else would probably tie for second. Uh, there was a bonus track on a CD re-release of Kitty Cat's Christmas. Um, yeah, yeah. Better, and, and I <laughs> that's do not have talking that about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I just, that that's. I found out about that when they finally released it uh, in digital format and I downloaded that and I I don't listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely the weirdest of all of them because it starts off with the little, uh, the little girl, I think. Mm -hmm. And then it's got like a, it's almost got like a Mexican uh, and I don't know if it's Mexican or Spanish, but uh, definitely a Latin flair to it. Uh, and shame on me, I should know that I'm Hispanic, but oh well. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's the uh, the rhythm that he uses, the plucking and, and the, the picking. I mean, it's it's got that very Hispanic, you know, Latino feel, uh, but it's just strange. I, mm-hmm. I <laughs> it's yeah, it. I mean, I can see why he would go with something like that. You know, being Leon Redbone and all, but uh, it's it's just it didn't. At least for me, it didn't quite click. <laughs> yeah, well, and so, something I never knew until, uh, what, about a week ago, um, apparently there was a uh, a German special edition released last year that has an alternate version of Frosty the Snowman on it. Really? And I, I did a couple quick searches. I didn't see anything. So that's something I need to keep an eye out for. 
Hmm. I'd be interested in hearing that, seeing what the difference is. Yeah. So I, I have no idea if it, you know, is it just Leon? Is it him and Dr. John still? Um, mm-hmm. it, it definitely intrigued me. Or if the instrumentation is different. Uh-huh. Yeah. That'd, that'd be interesting. Yeah, and I like that Frosty. It's, you know, of course, you got Dr. Drunk's growl in there, you know, Frosty the Snowman. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> and that's terrible. I can't do it. But, <laughs> but he, uh, you know, he, he really kind of just blends and kind of goes with it. And, and that's what I think I like about that version is that, you know, they just kind of play off each other. Yeah. Well, and for years, one of, there, there's a, uh, a forum I get on, um, a Christmas music forum. And, you know, it, Every once in a while, someone will start a thread saying, you know, what's your dream Christmas album? And for years, mine would have been um, uh, Leon Redbone, Dr. John, and Tom Waits together. Ooh, man. (laughs) That would have been cool. (laughs) It would have been the most gravelly Christmas music ever ever produced. (laughs) (laughs) For sure, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. So, you know, I mentioned Tin Pan Alley, and uh, of course, that was a, a specific area in New York uh, where a bunch of just songwriters and song publishers, they just started churning out music. And essentially, they would they would just hire songwriters and just composers, and they would just try to their best to, to buy the songs from them. Or uh, sometimes they would even like put their own names on the songs, which is kind of kind of a shame because so many people are, aren't remembered for the right thing. But, uh, you know, they had a style that was kind of like a mix of like ragtime and jazz and blues and uh, as well as some of the older um, operetta styles, you know, mixed in. And so it's, it's very eclectic sound, but the thing that they prided themselves on, and I think this is, this might be why, uh, why Leon actually kind of gravitated toward them was to have songs that anybody could sing at any time. And so they were, they were hugely popular. Um, of course, the most famous would be Irving Berlin, who wrote like almost every single popular song in, <laughs> in that era. <laughs> yeah, well, and that, that's something I, that I've always been fascinated by with Tin Pan Alley is that, you know, you, they were churning out just such a phenomenal volume of music mm-hmm. and they managed to create some of the... Uh, just so many of the uh, the standards. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so much of the, you know, American songbook is uh, taken from these, you know, basically like sweatshop conditions where all they were producing was uh, music. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they even had uh, what they called song pluggers, which I thought was kind of neat. It was literally just uh, musicians that the publishers hired just to to play the same song or, or a couple of songs over and over and over again until the people, you know, learned it so well that as they were walking out, they could sing it. Mm-hmm. And that's how they would sell their music, just to have people singing these songs all the time, which, I mean, when you think about it, yeah, that's pretty standard. You know, you you write your song and then you hope someone buys it and, or, or you know, uh, uh, helps you produce it. But but at the time, I mean, it was it was definitely something novel. And, and I mean, the scope of it all still kind of boggles my mind that that you're right. It was just these, these poor conditions where people were just, all right, write me some songs and we'll see, we'll see how much I'll pay you. And sometimes it was just a flat fee for everything. So they never saw any royalties. And sometimes it was like, I'll buy the song, but I'm going to put my name as composer. And 
you know, at, at least the songs were catchy and at least a lot of them, like you said, kind of live on today, which is really nice. Um, but I, you know, and I can see why he would be, you know, pulled towards that just because of how accessible they were, how different they were from everything else that he was hearing. Because I mean, uh, his tastes especially were were very eclectic. So he'd listen to everything from like uh, Paganini to Cliff Edwards to Jelly Roll Morton, who's you know awesome. I love Jelly Roll Morton, Mustafa the Castrato, Jimmy Rogers, Mongolian throat singers. He would actually listen to Mongolian <laughs> throat singers, which I mean that's that's crazy. Who listens to that? You know, there was an album a couple years ago that um, oh my gosh, I can't think of his name. Jazz musician. He had uh, a couple tracks with Mongolian throat singers on there. Yeah, and I can't think of the. I, I I could look it up real quick if I remember the. <laughs> the translation of Jingle Bells, but it's uh, escaping my mind. <laughs> but I mean, he would just listen to everything. And so not only was he eclectic, but, uh, or his tastes eclectic, but you can see how all of that kind of came out in this album because it really is a, a, a mix of instruments, you know? I mean, there was even a bass saxophone. Yeah, not even not a berry sax, which is more popular. You know, a bass sax just to uh-huh. get some of that low end. And uh, again, that was popular like in the twenties, but not so much anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's just it's one of those where his inspirations. I think uh, he drew so much inspiration from that specific era that it informed everything he did. But yeah, well, and you know, when you think back on it. You know, he came out of the 70s, and mm-hmm. could, could someone like him really even be successful today? I mean, you, you had such a, just an odd mixture of talent in the in the 70s at times. Mm-hmm. And the, not just society, but the, the music industry was so much different back then. The fact that he was able to get a shot and build an audience, I, I just... I don't know. That's some. I don't know if that's something you'd really see going on in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, there is a lot of indie music, but something in this style. I think you're right. I think it would be very difficult to for him to have made it today. You know, and and you have people here and there that that still do well in their little thing. But uh, I mean, yeah, I really don't see it happening. Which. I would have been a shame if the world had never heard him, you know? Yeah, well, even, you know, Hall & Oates, even if you, if, if you look back on, on, on their career, they were basically uh, pretty unsuccessful for almost a decade. They had one hit, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, the label stuck with them, which is, you know, they saw it as an investment back then. And suddenly, late 70s, early 80s hit, and you ended up with, you know, one of the biggest bands of the decade. Which, uh, sorry to go on a tangent, but did you ever watch a live at Daryl's house? I, I've seen a couple episodes. I, I I need to watch more of that. Yeah, they were they were pretty great, uh, and not even just the the cooking part or whatever. I just I loved when they would just kind of talk about, yeah, we'll do this and do this, and then all of a sudden, you know, after like a rehearsal or two, they they just kind of run through it, and I mean, it, it would always sound amazing. But, uh, I, you know, I love when Smokey Robinson was on there and the OJs and uh, the, the Joe Walsh episode was really good. And I know I'm getting off topic, but, you know, it's, it's not a podcast if you don't go off topic every once in a while. <laughs> well, I, I took uh, took my wife and my sister to see uh, Hall & Oates and Tears for Fears a couple years ago. Nice. Oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> you want to talk about a good concert that you know i we we saw weird al a few years before that oh i love weird al <laughs> and you know that that just that 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 really brings out the 13 year old in you yeah <laughs> yes it does <laughs> but but then sitting there and when those when the opening uh strands of uh everybody wants to rule the world hit oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I've never seen Tears for Fears, uh, but I did see Hall & Oates with Chicago. Oh, wow. And yeah, that was a good show. But the reason, well, I, I won't forget it because it was a good show. But the second reason I won't forget it was that I was literally um, like just a row or two, not uh, or like outside of the covered area. And it started uh-huh. to pour. And so I literally just, just pulled my cap down over my head and uh, flick, you know, turn my collar up and just kind of huddled there and listen to that <laughs> while the rain was just beating down on me. So, uh, <laughs> but it was a good concert. <laughs> uh-huh. So, yeah. But anyway, uh, sorry, back to Leon Redbone <laughs> and Christmas Island. The one that I, I kind of really like as well was that old Christmas moon. And I think one of his bandmates actually wrote that one. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that, that, that's one that really, that that got to me the first time I heard the album. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just, you know, it it, it was so different that mm-hmm. it, it just it, it, that 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 one did something for me. Uh, the melody and everything it does harken back to that earlier style that we talk about. But uh, the pianist, uh, what's his name, Waldo, was. Uh, I mean, he was also known for some of his ragtime style playing. You know, and and he could do that Jelly Roll Morton type. You know, oh gosh, I can't think of the name now. Uh, shame on me. I'm a musician. I should know this. You know, but like when you go back and forth and you play the bass note and then comp in the same hand. You know, you're just boom, bump, bump, kind of a thing. Uh-huh. Uh, and so he was he was really really good at it. And you can kind of hear um, you can kind of hear that in this in this tune. You know, you have that oh that old Christmas moon. You know the way he. Of course, I'm no Leon Redbone, so I can't sing it like that. <laughs> but uh, just something about it. It's it's like in that style that you can just see the guys huddled around like a piano, uh, just singing and and just having a good time, you know. <laughs> but this this one's really neat because, um, and I like when when songs do this kind of stuff. But they get a little bit harmonically uh, inventive there because in the chorus they start to they hit the four chord. And then they hit the minor four chord, which, you know, uh, so like they go in in the key of D, they're they're playing a G and then all of a sudden they'll go to G minor. And of course, that B flat is not in the key of D. And so it just adds a little bit extra dimension to the song. But then instead of resolving it to anything that you would think they'd resolve it to, they just resolve it down to the, the tonic, which is D. And so you get that B flat going down to A, the G going down to the F sharp. And so it's almost like a suspension, which I think is really cool. I mean, it's just, it's neat, neat stuff that he did there. And then, of course, we get some more of the secondary dominance with like E7 to A and and things like that. Um, yeah, it's a great tune there. And and I know what you mean about it speaking to you. There is a couple of lines here and there that are not my favorite lines, but uh, but musically, I really enjoy it. But yeah, uh, I think as an album, it, everything really works for me. Like there's a nice flow to it because you kind of have the standards, but then suddenly you kind of go into... Uh, you know, he keeps some of the, the ones that aren't as popular. He keeps those towards the end. And and I kind of like that. Of course, we go White Christmas and then straight into Winter Wonderland. And then from there, we get into the Frosty. So you have right away all these uh, all these songs that just kind of flow 
nice and easy. And um, it, I, I just kind of really enjoy the, the flow of the album as a whole. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I put together a, uh, um, a uh, CD for my friends and family each year. So mm-hmm. it's something I always try to pay attention to is having a good flow of songs and mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the whole arrangement of the, uh, of the tracks on this album. I mean, like you said, you, you start with the standards, you get into the, some of the more obscure stuff, and then he brings it back to a couple of the standards at a uh, couple of the standards at the end. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Except yeah. for Kitty Cat's Christmas. <laughs> we we won't speak of that one. <laughs> hey, as long as I stick with uh, my old cassette or uh, if I get the uh, the vinyl, we, we should be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Christmas Ball Blues is pretty cool. I really enjoy that one too. But uh, but yeah, I think, I think something about the arrangements and, you know, as we talked about just the, uh, like the, the, stripped down just raw versions of of the standards i think is really cool because it does remind me i mean i go caroling with my family every year uh and so it does remind me of of just being with my brothers and you know my dad's playing guitar and i'm playing guitar and you know we just kind of there'll be sleigh bells and of course things you know just various instruments but you get you kind of get that live feel which i really like and I like when bands can do that without actually having to do like a live, uh, um, you know, a live record. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally so many times uh, when I hear the live records, they're just because they're, they're taken live. And, and nowadays it's different. You can take it from the actual, you know, uh, master tracks, but um, generally the, the, they were never really mixed very well. Uh, they tried to put the audience in so that, you know, it's live and, and it just, it, it always felt so artificial and, and, and badly produced, but not in like an overly produced way, just in a, you know, just it, no one did their job kind of a thing. And there's very few live albums that I've really enjoyed. But here, you when a band, and in this case, the artist and his, you know, his session musicians, when they can capture that feel of actually being there, um, I think there's that and I hate to use the word energy again, but I mean, that's what it is. There's this energy and this vibe that you just really get into. And it really brings you into that, that room where they are playing. And, and I think he did it so well. And I know it was, uh, you know, him and his, and his manager that just pretty much produced it all. So it, I mean, he was kind of a genius when you think about it. Well, and you also have to think for, for as quickly as they recorded the album, I mean, that, that's got to play a part in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, if they had spent, you know, weeks, you know, rehearsing and playing the same songs over and over again, I don't think you'd had quite the, uh, quite the same feel. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm sure they'd fix different things, but I know he was also very notorious for, uh, during his concerts, you know, changing up set lists. <laughs> so, so it, it kind of makes me wonder like what else he kind of changed up as they were playing, you know, like, no, no, let's do this. And then you just, Okay, all right. Let's we'll lay it down. Let's let's lay down this one track, and you know, then okay, no, no. Let's try this, and then see what else happens. <laughs> uh, but I, I can imagine how that would be very frustrating for uh, for one of his musicians that he toured with. <laughs> but I know you mentioned that uh, you know Christmas Island and that old Christmas Moon, or you know uh, some of those are are your favorite. Is there anyone that is your least favorite aside from Kitty Cat's Christmas? Uh I, I'd say outside of Kitty Cat's Christmas, you know, the first time I heard it, 
uh, Toyland just, you know, it, it's what probably the slowest song on the uh, on mm-hmm. the album. Yeah, it um, is. It, uh, you, you know, as a teen, that's probably the one that I skip through the most often. Yeah, uh, I got to. It, I enjoy it now, but uh, you know, thirty years ago, it wasn't. Um, it, it definitely wasn't my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, same here. I I love all sorts of jazz, um, but like the the bebop, you know, hard bop and and that kind of thing are, are my favorites. Mm-hmm. And uh, so whenever they'd get into one of the slower songs, I'd usually just kind of you know turn the track or you know just go to the next one just so I could hear more of that up-tempo stuff that I really, really enjoy. And so I, I kind of actually felt the same way with Toyland back in the day. But it's one of those where, I don't know if it's just because I'm older, but or, you know, more mellow, but it, it kind of speaks to a, the child in me now. And I really, really like it. And and I think it's actually one of my favorites on the, <laughs> on the whole album, which is uh, something I, I never thought I'd say. Well, and I, I think for me, you know, it, it, it it's not a song I heard a lot back then, but since mm-hmm. then, I, I, I'm sure I've got probably a couple hundred versions of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more I hear other people singing it, it definitely brings up Leon Redbone's version in comparison. So I think that helped, helped my appreciation of it grow a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, it's funny how uh, how much different a song can sound at 48 as opposed to 18. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just I want to get into the, the lyrics really quickly. Uh, go back to Christmas Island just because I, I really like this. Uh, this one verse here where he says, if you ever spend Christmas on Christmas Island, you will never stray for every day your Christmas dreams come true that's kind of a neat thing to think about when your Christmas dreams come true and not just, you know, as a kid, it's all about the presents, but uh, especially now as a dad, I mean, I really, I think my biggest Christmas dream is just to be with my family, you know, and just to make sure that we're all happy and together and whether or not we're on an Island. I mean, that's just, it's a great sentiment. And so um, I, I, I really, really like the song. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and that that's something for me. The uh, um, as I've gotten older, the it, it, I, I've always been more into the giving than the getting as far as gifts go. Mm-hmm. And um, we we had a couple years ago where I told my wife, I was like, you know, don't give me anything, don't don't have me ask, don't have me come up with a list, just. Don't give me anything. Let me get up on Christmas morning and just enjoy everyone else watching or enjoy watching everyone else open the gifts. Nice. And I'll tell you, that was one of the best Christmases I've ever had. There was no pressure. I didn't have to worry about, you know, going out and making sure I bought gifts for, gifts for myself as well. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, sitting back and watching the kids have their Christmas. And so. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, I know for me growing up, it was all about the getting. I'll be honest. <laughs> I wish I could say that I was more like you, but uh, no, it was. I wanted the presents. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're you know you're you're absolutely right. More and more, uh, I I like 
the the simple things and and it's you know it's it's just drinking hot chocolate and and watching the excitement on the kid's face and so when i hear something like that you know every day your christmas dreams come true i mean it uh you know it's just one of those that i i it's one of those lines that that kind of you know it, it cuts to the heart of it you know and uh so i i really enjoy this of course singing and when you hear him singing it in his uh baritone voice that's you know just there's there's kind of a roughness there even though it's also smooth which is it, it's a weird juxtaposition um something about it it just it it really warms your heart and and i don't know what else to say and i know i've said it a couple of times already but it's just it's really cool and i i i really love this album now <laughs> well, and as far as that line in particular i think that plays kind of into the same same sort of feeling that you get you know when you're watching uh one, whichever version of Christmas Carol and the whole the whole idea of keep you know keeping Christmas every day of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we 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 try to have a Scrooge on each year where we get up in the morning and we start watching. We've got too many copies of Christmas Carol now to get through all of them in a day. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll start with like the 1910 version and get all the way up through uh, uh, Scrooge or uh, uh, Albert Finney or you know whichever. Wait, wait, wherever our uh, endurance uh, finally gets the best <laughs> of us. As much as you can take, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool, I mean, that's a cool tradition there. That's really neat. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. That uh, in Scrooge, when Bill Murray at the very end is, is doing his crazy rant, you know, and he's just <laughs> saying, you know, you'll get greedy for it, you know, and all that, you know, about that Christmas feeling that, uh, that, that's another moment that you mentioned that uh, it really just speaks to you and, and just, it, it does encapsulate with that one particular line. Uh, mm-hmm. So I got to ask Scott, what would you say if you could pinpoint it, if not, you know, uh, just try your best or, or give me a general, but what would you say would be your hap hap happiest moment or memory with uh, this album? It, it has to be that, you know, that first night right after I got it, sitting in the, the car with my dad, freezing cold out and putting in the uh, cassette player the first time. And, you know, just hearing, you know, he, hearing the start of White Christmas and just realizing that this was so different. And this was, you know, it, 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 it was my music. It was, you know, it wasn't the stuff mom listened to. It wasn't the stuff you heard on the radio. It was just the kind of stuff I've been looking for and mm-hmm. it just, it, it thrilled me. And so that, that's, that, that has to be my best memory of, uh, of this album. Nice. Yeah. For me, it, uh, it would be going back after watching elf and, you know, I kind of recognized like, wait a minute, this guy sounds familiar and going back and then discovering the album again after that, um, you know, hearing it with like fresh ears, knowing that uh, now he, <laughs> it it was a snowman to be singing now, you know, uh, <laughs> which is terrible. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it was it was that going back and and rediscovering the album after hearing it uh, so many years earlier, um, and and there was something special because at this point uh, or at that point, you know, I had already studied music, and so now I can appreciate the music in a new way rather than just kind of like, oh, this doesn't sound like Genesis, you know. Or <laughs> <laughs> Because it really didn't. <laughs> uh, 
So yeah, I think that I would say that would be mine. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those albums that uh, is it it t- at least for me it took me a while to appreciate, even though I knew something was different. You know, that first time I heard it, it it really did take me um, all that time to appreciate it. And and now that I've appreciated it, and now that I know what it's trying to do musically, um, I mean, it, it brings me to a whole new level of respect for it. Uh, but now we come to my favorite part of the show, which is a little <laughs> segment I like to call Gag Me With a Spoon. So this is where we do our best impression of our least favorite part of uh, <laughs> of the album here. So we'll we'll I'll put it up to the listeners to vote and see who has the the best worst impression. And as a as a guest, I'll let you go first. Just kind of you know set up you know set up the not the scene, but you know set up the moment for us. Yeah, well, and I, I I thought about doing Kitty Cat's Christmas. <laughs> I have not listened to that enough to even. Tr- I, I I can't even make an attempt. I, I tried finding finding the lyrics, didn't have any luck. Um, even though it's grown on me, uh, I, I, I'll have to go back to Toyland um, just because, you know, years ago, that was not my favorite on the album. And so. <laughs> <laughs> Toyland, Toyland, little girls and Boyland. And that's about the best I can do. <laughs> that was good. That was really good. <laughs> that's going to be so much better than mine. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's so funny. I'm, I'm definitely a tenor, like anything lower than like an E or a D on the staff. And, and I have trouble with, so trying to do the baritone that is Leon Redbone is, is very hard. But uh, for me, uh, I picked, even though I really like the song, there's this one line in the song that, it kind of reminds me of all those, uh, you know, Santa from outer space things that, that I, I always find kind of odd. You know, I mean, as a kid, you know, Santa's in the North Pole. He's not in outer space. It has nothing to do with uh, moonbeams or anything like that. So this is from that old Christmas moon. Even though I really love the song, I, I don't like this line here. <laughs> and uh, so let's see if I can do it. Santa's coming real soon and the moonbeams will guide his sleigh. <laughs> <laughs> I that was terrible. Yours was way better. <laughs> uh, but now I will leave it. Uh, I will leave it up to you, listeners, to to vote, and I'll put that up on uh, Twitter and and uh, <laughs> Instagram and all that. And um, winner gets a sticker, unless I win, in which case I get nothing. But I think you're safe, Scott, because I uh, I have yet to win. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. But now that we're, we're coming closer to the end, I I just, I got to ask, you know, GI Joe, they taught us that uh, knowing was half the battle. What would you say is the other half? I I'd have to say a a white suit and a Panama hat. Ooh, that's a good (laughs) one. That's a good one. (laughs) That's way better than mine. Mine was uh, so if knowing is half the battle, the other half is hiring the best studio musicians for your tin pan alley esque Christmas album. (laughs) Well, and I, I, that, that's going to win the day just about any time, at least in a musical setting. You're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it, Scott, it's been a, a blast talking with you about this. Uh, I've enjoyed, you know, 
learning about Leon Redbone and, and this album in general and, and just, you know, some of the chord structures and, and things like that and, and inspirations. But, uh, you know, what do you want to plug? Tell me about your show. Uh, my show, uh, Holly Jolly Xmasu, it's a podcast all about Japanese Christmas music. I, they, there's an album I was trying to find years ago. It took me eight or nine years to finally get it. Akira Ishikawa's uh, Drum Christmas Drum. It, good album. Uh, but it set me off down the path of finding all these other albums by artists who I had no clue who they were. I had no clue anything they'd done. And at the beginning of this year, I had a little Christmas money left over. Uh, I had done everything I could to find any way to get these songs online. Couldn't do it. So I finally bit the bullet. I ordered some vinyl from Japan and those first four albums I got just by luck were fantastic. They, there were some great albums and it really opened up this entire, literally an entire different world of Christmas music. So as the pandemic set in, uh, you know, having a little extra time on my hand, I decided, you know, I had to do something to keep myself, keep myself going. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I'd been listening to, you know, Can't Wait for Christmas, Christmas Past. And uh, I figured, you know, I've got this music now. I've got the time. I, why don't I go ahead and try doing a, a podcast about it? So I, I just finished editing my eighth episode. Uh, that'll be uh, going live on Friday. Um, I, I try to put them out the 25th of each month. and. Nice. You, you can find me on uh, on iTunes. Uh, do do a search on Google. Uh, you should be able to find my webpage. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Um, yeah. So if if you're looking for something a little bit different, if you want to hear some just fantastic music that you've literally never heard before, uh, go go ahead and check me out. Um, as we get into the last few months of this year, uh, I'm really pulling out some just phenomenal albums um a lot of it's jazz but um i've got some other really really different stuff as well so um yeah give it a listen give me some feedback uh let me know what you think and uh if you like it keep listening yeah and uh i definitely check it out it's really cool the uh the blue comets one that you did Uh, um jackie ishikawa and the blue comets there There's something else. Yeah, um, that was that was pretty <laughs> neat. I, I really enjoyed that one. Uh, so for sure, check it out. It's some great music. Uh, I mean, the harmonically, it's interesting. Melodically, it's interesting. I mean, just everything about it is it it really is is something different. So if you're if you're in that mood, I mean, go for it. It's really cool. Uh, so that's my plug for you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I really enjoy it. I really do. As a musician, you know, it's, there's, it's nice to hear this kind of stuff and, and to know that people are still creative and uh, all that. Although I, you know, I'm, I, I know sometimes you, uh, you have a little trouble acquiring some of this music. And so I, you know, I, I always, whenever you, I hear one of your success stories, I always like kind of cheer to myself like yeah <laughs> we're gonna hear something cool <laughs> yeah, well and I, i've got one coming as soon as my friend's mother-in-law sends it um it, it sounds like it's gonna be something fantastic so looking forward to that i've got a few other albums i just got that uh are they, they they're they're really gonna add to uh to what i'm putting out so right on 
Definitely can't looking wait. forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait, man. It's great stuff. So keep it up. <laughs> but but on that note, uh, I'm going to say thank you one more time for coming on. And I'm going to end it with Christmas comes but once a year. And to me, it brings good cheer for checking us out on our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're feeling like every day your Christmas dreams are coming true, leave us a review on iTunes. Not only does it help us reach more people, but you also get a free sticker. Now, don't forget to vote. Later, dudes.